You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. As they continue to pass those baskets, uh, I'll get started here. Uh, Man, what a great week it has been uh, for the life of our church and especially our student ministry. Two weeks ago, I went with my family on vacation, and that was a glorious week by the beach. And then uh, last week, I went with our student ministry to the Wave Camp, and man, it was just an incredible week to see students going after Christ, you know, worshiping, uh, talking about deep truths, and, and, and just repenting of sin, and, and um, having fun during the day. It was just a really, really fun week, and, and just a great week. I think we are extremely blessed uh, here at FC to see God moving and working in our student ministry like he is. I'm extremely proud of, of Landon and uh, Greg and their entire team and just their leadership in that process. Man, it, it really is something very, very special. If you've got students who aren't connected yet, uh, work on connecting them this summer and, and, and moving into the fall because uh, there's something really special happening here. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to see them. I know my daughter, when she got back, she slept for like 18 hours. So I know it was a, an exhausting week. I played about 20 games of volleyball. And so there's something uh, to be said about spiking a volleyball on the beach towards uh, middle schoolers' heads that just really gets all the pent-up frustration out of your system. And so um, if you're stressed today, I recommend it. Um, So today I want to start a series entitled Send Me um, because it's an important truth that, that you and I realize as followers of Christ today that you and I are not saved to come and sit and soak on Sunday mornings But really, being a follower of Jesus Christ means that God saved you to send you. That God has given you an assignment. God has given you a purpose. God has given you a a specific plan for your life to accomplish. He's gifted you in certain ways. He's given you different experiences in life. And and, uh, all of these experiences, whether good, whether bad, God uses to design you and to make you who you are today. And it's a res- as a result of that giftedness and, and the person that he uh, has created you to be today, um, he, he wants you to use that to bless other people. Um, we know that the church is the hope of the world, that Jesus promised to build his church. The gates of hell will not stand against it. So the gates of hell are trying to protect hell. We charge the gates of hell. The, the gates are not strong enough for us. We defeat those gates, and Jesus wins, and the church is used as that tool in the world to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to make disciples. Lives are changed. The church is the hope of the world. And so um, it's through the church that we serve. It's through the church that we are using our giftedness to bless other people, and we join together to make disciples. And so uh, I want us to understand that as an important principle, is what it means to be a follower of Christ. And so to help us get to this place, we're going to look at a close encounter with God today. Because I really believe that if you have not experienced a close encounter with God, then you will not go and serve. You will not volunteer. You will not go and be on mission with God. You'll just be on a mission to serve yourself. You'll be on a mission to build your own kingdom. And we've got to die to that part of our selfishness and die to that way of living and really begin to live the way that God intended us to live, which is to serve others and to be sent by him. He's got a plan for you. He's got an assignment for you. 
And uh, to do that, we look at a close encounter today between Isaiah and God. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking specifically about how we use our gifts in the church. Um, We're going to be also talking about why we are sending people in our church to go plant churches why in the future we will be sending people to go and start campuses. Um, And so I think it will be a very helpful and informative uh, series. You won't want to miss week four when we commission Pastor Greg as we send him uh, to Washington, D.C. to plant a church. And over the next few weeks, especially that day, I'm going to be outlining why we would even do that and uh, why we're excited about that. And so I don't think you'll want to miss the next few weeks. But I think it really starts with an experience with God, a close encounter with God. And if you've never experienced the Lord Jesus in a close, personal way, uh, then perhaps you don't know what it looks like and feels like. And so after today, I hope that you do and you will and you'll understand it in a deeper way. Maybe some of you have never been saved you're going to realize through this sermon that you've never actually uh, experienced Christ in salvation. And so today at the end, you're going to go to the care and prayer room and, and they're going to lead you to Christ today. And it's going to change your life. Um, whatever the result, my prayer is that God would move us closer to him. And let's look at verse 1, chapter 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Let's just pause right there before we go any further. Um, this kind of sets the context and the tone for what's about to happen King Uzziah was a really good leader for Judah. He became the king at 16 years of age, and he led Judah for 52 years. He did right in the eyes of the Lord, the scripture tells us. He was a great leader, but oftentimes when we experience success, um, sometimes we get complacent. Uh, You've probably heard it said that the um, the, the greatest hindrance to our future success is our current success. Because when we experience success in, in, in business, in family life, spiritually speaking, we get a little complacent. We, we fig, figure we can do things on our own. We're not as sharp. We're not as focused. And then we lose sight of our future goals. And then we, we ended up not experiencing success in the future. And I think in some ways, his pride and the fact that he was doing a good job kind of got in the way, and he did something that was against God's law. And so he went into the temple, and he burned incense as a sacrifice, and he was not allowed to do that. Only the priest was allowed to do that. And so because he broke that law, God punishes him. God gives him leprosy. Eventually, he dies. His son takes over. Anytime a great leader dies, uh, anytime a great leader moves into another organization or whatever, leaves a church, there's a vacuum of leadership. So if the leader, the CEO of your organization leaves, there's kind of a vacuum of leadership. There's a lot of uncertainty. What's going to happen? Some fear, anxiety begins to develop in the group, into the people. And this is what begins to happen in Judah at this time. Their king, their great leader has died. All of this fear and anxiety grows and builds up. And then there's an Assyrian army marching their way, seeking to destroy them and conquer them. And so there's all kinds of chaos. Uzziah's son takes over. He actually uh, is a good leader as well. But the people turn to idols. They turn to other idols instead of the one true God. And spiritual chaos, all the anxiety, all the uncertainty ensues. And it's in that context that God speaks to Isaiah. Now that's important for us to start with today 
Because oftentimes an experience with God comes in a time of uncertainty, a time of chaos, a time of stress. Oftentimes when, when we are living our life and things are going great, you know, we're paying the bills, life is wonderful, nobody's sick, everything is good, you know, then, then we're not listening to God. We almost have a deaf ear to, to the Spirit in our life. We've got it, God, we're good to go. We'll get to church when we have time. We'll pray when we, you know, carve out enough time to do that. Read scripture, and eh, I think we're good right now. But then the minute somebody gets sick, the minute somebody gets hurt, the minute some financial stress, the minute some anxiety hits our life, we're more likely to open up our ears to the Spirit of God. And so I think that's part of the situation here with Isaiah. And I think maybe a good encouragement for some of you who might be going through a difficult time right now. You're trying to ask God questions, why God, why God, why this, why this? And, and really you should just be listening to what, God? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to change within me? What are you trying to do? And, and seeking him through this process, I think an encounter with God is exactly what you need in this current situation. So it's in the year that King Uzziah died. And here's what he says, I saw the Lord. Wow. I mean, hard to envision, hard to imagine what we are about to read, but this is a unique, one-of-a-kind, incredible experience. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. He says, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. I mean, what in the world is this object, this creature? This is kind of freaky to us in the 21st century, right? Many of you probably have not had a vision of a seraphim, right? You've not had that close encounter yet. Um, all we know is that this word for seraphim, um, it, uh, me, the Hebrew word actually comes from a word that means to burn. And so this was a fiery type creature with six wings, with two wings this creature covers its eyes, most likely because he is in the presence of a holy God and he is unworthy to even look upon the Lord. With two wings, it covers its body. The text says its feet. The same word could be used for body or even genitals. And, and the idea is that the, the seraphim believes that he is unworthy for God even to look upon him. With two wings, he's flying. So this being is flying in the presence of God. And look what happens next. And one called to the other. And, 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 and they are singing, yelling, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We just sang a song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He says, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The, trans, the, the word Lord there is, is the word Yahweh. It's, it's Yahweh of hosts. We sang the song today, Yahweh. We're not even quite sure how to pronounce the word because in Hebrew there are no vowels. But most likely that is the closest we can, we can kind of get to, to understanding what this very unique, close, personal name of God is. Many Jews today do not even speak or attempt to say that name because it is so holy. For us, it might be a little strange like that, that this is a unique, special name, but there is power in this name. There is, there, is, there, there, there is so much truth to this name. 
in Exodus 3, God speaks through a burning bush to Moses. And he calls out to Moses and, and he challenges him to go and, and, and go get his people. And, and he says, who will I say sent me when they ask me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. So the word Yahweh, this word Yahweh, he says, tell them Yahweh sent you. So the idea is that, that, that God is, that God exists. Simply what the name means, it's a very personal, close name, and it means that he is or, or he exists. And so when we think about this God, when we understand who he is, it, it draws us closer to him. And if you're taking notes, and I, by the way, I hope you do take notes because you never know what God might say. And if you don't have a pen or a pencil close by or your app pulled up to write down what God is telling you, you might miss it. Anybody forget somebody's name like five seconds after they tell you, you meet them? Just think about the spiritual truth that God wants to tell you perhaps today. If you don't write it down, if you don't get it down in one ear, out the other ear, you might miss exactly what God has for you. So four truths today about the purpose of an encounter with God. The first truth is this, God reveals himself to you. In verses one through three, God is revealing himself to you. Isaiah, the seraphim are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now he knows this is the Yahweh of hosts. This is God. This is Jesus speaking to Isaiah. When when we hear this God is or this name for God, it teaches us that God is, in other words, He eternally exists. He never had a beginning. He will never have an ending. In 110 years from now, the 4 billion people that are living on this planet will be dead and gone, just like Uzziah. They say that there will be upwards of 10 billion people at that time. We will die. God will be here. Why? Because he eternally exists. He never had a beginning. He will never have an end. The idea that God exists or that God is teaches us that he is independent of anything or anyone for his existence. In other words, he is not depending upon anything to keep him alive. He doesn't need a next breath, so he's not dependent upon oxygen we die after three to five days without water. He, can, he is not dependent upon water. He is not dependent upon food. Nothing is or, or needs to be given to him for him to exist. He's independent. Anything that is not God depends upon God. We know that God is constant. God doesn't change. The fact that he is Yahweh, that God is, that he exists means that he cannot change, and thankfully he cannot change. If he could change, that would mean that he would change for the better, which means that today he's not perfectly and uniquely God. Perhaps if he could change, he could change for the worse, which would be a little scary. Perhaps God could get a little evil, but praise God, he is constant. He does not change. The idea that God is means that he does whatever he pleases, And whatever he pleases is always right. It is always true. It is always 
holy because he is holy. The seraphim declare holy, holy, holy. We declare today holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The idea that God is holy means that he is set apart, that he is unique, that he is different than anything. He is completely holy, which means that he is completely pure, 100% righteous, 100% unique. God is, and this God wants to reveal himself to you. God reveals himself to Isaiah. He sees this vision, and God reveals himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you today. How does he do that? Well, God has revealed himself in the Lord Jesus. Through his son Jesus, the exact representation of God himself was revealed to the world. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says that he, he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory in the exact representation of his nature. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had made purifications of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. If you have experienced Jesus, you have experienced the full and exact representation of God himself. God reveals himself to us in his son, Jesus. We know about Jesus from his word. So we experience the power of Jesus through the word of God, through the preaching of his word. That's why we need to be under the preaching of his word. It's a biblical thing. Timothy is told to preach the word in season and out of season. So we gather for the preaching of his word to reveal Jesus to us. Ultimately, Jesus is revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. We all walk in here today with spiritual blinders. Before Christ, we are dead in our trespasses We are dead in our sin. We do not seek God. We are unrighteous, filthy, terrible people. Isaiah later says in this same book that the very best that you and I can do are like filthy rags before a holy God. And so we come to God. We are revealed who Jesus is by the Spirit. The Spirit uncovers our eyes. The Spirit reveals himself to us and and who Jesus is. Why? Because God wants you to experience that today. He wants you to experience a close encounter with him through his son, Jesus. Secondly, if you're taking notes, when we experience this holy God, God exposes your sin. Look at what happens next in verse five. The foundations are shaking. The house is filled with smoke. In verse five, Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. What a beautiful picture 
of an encounter with God. First, God reveals himself to us. Secondly, God exposes our sin. Isaiah says, woe is me. I am lost. I am a sinner. I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm with a people who have unclean lips. You see just how holy God is, and I guarantee you, you will realize just how sinful you are. Now, without going too Puritan on you today, (laughs) you are raising your children, sending them to sports where everybody wins, where everybody gets an award, where everybody gets a trophy. You don't want to be told that you're wrong. You don't want to tell your kids that they're wrong, sometimes in fear of their little self-esteems. We are raising a generation who feels like they are good people when they are not. We are raising children who feel like they are entitled to winning and to receiving everything. The world owes them something, and in fact, the world does not. You and your children and myself are terrible, terrible people. You are not a terrible person because you have made some bad decisions. You are a terrible person because you have a bad nature. You were born with a sin nature, and nothing heals or overcomes that sin nature. You cannot live a good life and please God. There is nothing that you can do to cause God to smile at your behavior. The scripture calls you an enemy of God because we're sinners. But the scripture says that God demonstrates his love to us in this. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. So when we experience the Lord, he reveals himself to us through Jesus. And we are exposed to just how sinful we are. You see, perhaps you've been frustrated with the Christian life. You've showed up to church thinking our kids need some spiritual guidance. You showed up to church because your marriage is on shaky ground. You showed up to church because, well, we live in the South and it's probably the good and acceptable thing that we just go to church from time to time. And so we go to church. But coming to church does something to you. It frustrates the heck out of you. Because you hear me teach teach you things and they sound like great ideas, but then you leave and you cannot accomplish it. You cannot do it. You try and you try and you fail and you fail. And the reason why you fail is because you cannot live this life that God calls you to live. And so it's frustrating. Some of you are living in that tension and that frustration. And the reality is the Spirit of God wants you in that frustration today. Why? Because the sooner you can understand that it is hopeless for you to do this It is impossible for you to live this way. The sooner you realize that there must be something else. There must be another way. God is calling me to live this way, but I can't live that way. Exactly. That's when you identify that you are in such need that you will finally turn to a savior. And his name is Jesus. Because you cannot do it on your own. You can only do it through him. He he is the only one that creates anything good in me. 
The only changes that I have made in my personal life are changes that the grace of Jesus Christ has done in me. I can't change myself. I can't become better. And you can't either. But it's the grace of Jesus that exposes my sin. And then thirdly, if you're taking notes, he cleanses you of that sin. He cleanses you. Why does he cleanse you? Because he wants to change you. He wants to change Isaiah here. Isaiah is exposed to a sin. He says, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then the seraphim flies down and brings a burning coal from the fire on the altar. That's where the sacrifice would have been burnt. Incense most likely is burning on the altar. That's where the smoke comes from. The scent of the incense being burnt. A, a, a coal is brought to his lips Touched on his lips, and, it, and, and the scripture says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. You see, his sin is atoned for. His sin is forgiven in that moment. Now listen, Isaiah isn't seeking God. He's not wondering, you know, God, I, I, I want to accept you. No, God does all of this. God seeks him, God gives him the vision, God saves him, God atones for his sin. His guilt is removed because it is an act of God in his life. And the same is true for you. You don't cleanse your sin, God cleanses your sin. He's the only one that can do that. The fire from the altar is is where the sacrifice would have been laid. Fire is a very beautiful thing, but it's also a very scary thing, isn't it? Um, I love to sit Uh, in my backyard, make a big fire, especially in the fall, and just stare at the fire. When we go camp in the mountains, I love to make a fire. In fact, I believe it's not truly camping unless there is a fire. And so uh, I've been in the Smokies when wood has been wet and it's frustrating, you can't get a fire together and you just feel incomplete. Um, but But fire is a very beautiful thing. It's a very scary thing. Fire purifies metal, doesn't it? God is called an all-consuming fire in the Bible. That can sound scary, but it's also very beautiful. Why? Because this all-consuming fire of God burns all the unrighteousness out of my life. It purifies me. It makes me whole. It makes me clean. And only through Christ is that accomplished. And yet, when he cleanses me, He makes me righteous because I'm a terrible sinner. I can't earn heaven on my own. I can't do anything to please God. So God exposes my sin and then he cleanses me of my sin. Now I have a relationship with him. Now I can have the hope of heaven. And yet I still sin. I still struggle with sin. In Romans 7, Paul talks about how he wants to do good, but he keeps sinning. Everything I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. So there's still a restlessness. There still is a struggle as a believer. But God changes us through his grace as we overcome it a little bit at a time. It's a journey of one and done cleansing. We experience salvation and then it's a lifetime of cleansing. It's a lifetime of changing. In fact, this is how we know that you really are a follower of Christ. Now you may pray a prayer say that you're a believer, get baptized, we're all pumped and excited for you, but we really don't know if that, if that really happened in your life until weeks later, sometimes months later. Because it's weeks and months after that 
decision or that salvation that we see your life beginning to change. And when we begin to see your life change and when you see and experience life change in your life, that's confirmation. That's what we would call fruit. That's what we would call evidence that God has saved you. And so I would say that you, if you have not changed, if you are not changing, then perhaps you never really have experienced the Lord Jesus in your life. And I would pray that you do today. God exposes our sin, then God cleanses us of our sin. The Bible uses the word atone here. That just means that God pays for our sin in the blood of Jesus, dying on the cross. He atones for, he redeems, he pays, he reconciles us. He covers our sin. The, the Greek, or I'm sorry, the Hebrew word kafar is the word atone, the, the, the verb for atone, which is interesting because um, Noah was told to kafar the ark. In other words, to cover the ark with pitch. Right, And so the flood being God's judgment upon the people on earth. But the atoning or the kafar, the, 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 the painting of the ark is what guided and protected Noah and his family and all the animals from God's wrath. In the same way, the cross covers and atones for your sin. And allows you to have a relationship with God. It allows your sin to be forgiven. Apart from the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you will live in eternity separated from God. Some people think that God is not in hell. God can't be in hell, right? Well, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent, right? Well, there's a little bit of a theological challenge and debate there. If God is everywhere at one time present, that would mean that he's in hell, right? But his presence as hell is not one of grace and love. His presence in hell is one of his wrath. So apart from the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, you will face the wrath of your sin, God's wrath on sin for eternity. But in the cross, God pours out his sin upon Jesus and pays for your sin. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it beautiful to recognize what some of you have experienced, the grace of God, but to get on your knees to thank God, to praise God for this grace, that without him, you are dead. Without him, you're an enemy. Without him, you will suffer for all eternity, but because of him, you have been forgiven. Now, he doesn't just save us to forgive us and cleanse us. There's more to it. There's one final step, and that final step is that then God sends you. Look again at chapter 6 here. He says, he touched my mouth, and he says, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, who shall I send and who will go for us? And then, funny, it's, why does he say us, that plural uh, form there of us? Well, that's a... That's a reference to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who will go for us. And then I said, here I am. Send me. Send me. And the following verses are the assignment that God gives to Isaiah. Now, Isaiah's assignment is not your assignment, okay? But God has given you an assignment. He has saved you 
to send you. There needs to be a moment in your life where you recognize this, where you come and stand before God and say, here I am, God, send me. I am open and available to whatever it is, all of me to all of you, God, because of your holiness. This is about you, not about me. I spend time building my kingdom. I spend time being selfish, and I spend time you know, trying to get people to like me and love me, and I, I spend time trying to build nice things for me, but this life is all about you, God. And you're calling me to go, to be on mission. I am sent by this holy God for a purpose, for a reason. What is your assignment? I don't know. I don't know what yours is. I, I do know this. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about it. God's assignment for you involves serving and volunteering in the local church. Some of you have committed to be a partner here. And when you promised to partner with us, you were promising that you would serve, that you would be a volunteer. Are you doing that? Are you fulfilling that promise? When God saved you, he sent you. Are you, are you on mission for him? Are you serving in some capacity? Have you bought the lie that Christianity in the South just means that you show up on Sunday from time to time? This is a holy God we are serving. And he demands righteousness from his children. And you and I will be held accountable. What's interesting about the following verses, and I won't read them all, but I do want to read a couple. Verse 9, he says to him, go and say to this people, go and tell the people of God, the Hebrew people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. <laughs> not a very encouraging assignment so far, right? Six times in the New Testament, this passage of scripture is quoted, often by Jesus. The reality is this is a very important passage of scripture. I don't have time to unpack it all, but essentially here's what it means. Isaiah's mission was to go and to tell these people to turn to God, but God was going to harden their hearts and they were not going to turn to God. So on the surface, God is sending Isaiah to fail. And we think about that and we think about it in terms of our culture because in our culture, success means certain things. It means monetary, you know, pleasure. It means in the church world, more numbers. It means baptisms. In your world, it might mean leadership, more responsibility, bigger houses. We see God's not sending you to be successful in the world's eyes. He's sending you to be faithful. As much as I would love to see thousands of people come to our church next Sunday, thousands of people come to know Christ today. Like, like if that doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that I'm unsuccessful as a pastor. We, we baptized, I don't know, 150, 60 plus people this past year. Great, awesome. I'd love to double that, triple that, 10 times that. But if we only baptize 10 people this year, does that mean that we are unsuccessful? The reality is, from a worldly standpoint, we can get so caught up in numbers and so caught up in money and prestige and power 
that we lose sight of God's will in our life. And God's will for your life might mean not being successful in times. And wait a minute, what about Jeremiah 29? You know, we got that on our wall at home. He has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. And sure. But I'm telling you right now, God will use unsuccessful things in your life. He will use sickness. He will use anything and everything in your life and in my life to get our attention and to accomplish things in me and through me that I may not understand today. This side of heaven I may never understand. So God's not necessarily calling you to be successful. He's calling you to be faithful. And so I've got to ask the question today, are you being faithful to this call? Are you really living your life as one who has been sent, one who is serving? We chant the word volunteers every fall around here. We dress up and say go vols all the time. But are you yourself truly volunteering for the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't see how we can call ourselves a faithful follower of Christ if we are not serving him in some capacity. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced salvation. You've never, you've never ex encountered Jesus where you have uh, seen your sin exposed, confessed your sin, repented of your sin, and turned to Jesus Christ for salvation through faith in him. Maybe you've never done that. Today I would love for you to make that, make that prayer, make that decision, make that a reality. For some of you, God might in fact be doing that right now. As we close, we're gonna, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper and, and after we do that, I wanna encourage you, if, 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 if you've never done that, if you wanna experience that, we have a room called the, the Care and Prayer Room. And uh, folks in there are trained to love you, care for you, lead you in this decision, encourage you to spend some time with them today. Maybe some of you guys are, are small group leaders and you're thinking success means your, your group has to grow or everybody has to be dynamic followers of Christ in your group. Or maybe you're a parent and you're trying to raise your children, you know, to love God and yet they're being rebellious and so you don't feel like you're being successful. Maybe you're in the care and prayer room and you think, man, hundreds of people aren't coming in here every week to, you know, get my advice so I'm not being successful. Here's the reality. God's calling you to be faithful. Just like he's calling me to be faithful. Here's a win for me on Sunday morning. The win for me is not how many people, not how many decisions. The win for me is that I stand right here and I explain and teach you about Jesus Christ. And if I can walk off this stage knowing that I did that to the best of my ability today, that is success because I can't change you. I can't even change myself. Only the Spirit of God does that. That's why we've got to beg Him in prayer to change us, to experience Him, to grow deeper with Him, to know Him more fully. And today I want us to focus on our relationship with Christ. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.